You are listening to the Ultimate Intimacy Podcast, where we discuss how to find ultimate intimacy in your relationship. We believe that no matter how many years you've been married, you can achieve passion, romance, happiness, and ultimate intimacy at any stage of your life. Join us as we talk to not only marriage experts, but couples just like yourself and people who are just flat out fun. The Ultimate Intimacy Podcast is for couples who have a good relationship but want to make it even better. Hi, and welcome to the Ultimate Intimacy Podcast with Nick and Amy, and we are so excited for our guest, uh, Dr. Wyatt Fisher. We've had him on before, and we asked him and begged him and pleaded with him to come back and talk about this subject we're going to talk about today, and he finally gave in. So, Dr. Fisher, thank you so much for being back with us. We're excited to have you and talk about this really important subject. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me back on the show. So everyone's probably wondering, what are we talking about today, sweetie? We are talking about how anxiety and depression affects intimacy in marriage. Like, kind of all areas of intimacy, really. If I would have known how important this subject really was, I think this would be maybe one of the first 20 episodes we would have done. It's been on our list, and... I think because it's not something that we've suffered with in our marriage... We kind of push it to the side and don't realize how many people this is affecting. And so that's why we have a specialist professional on today to do this episode is because, I don't know, I think it's going to be really good and it's really, really important because it's affecting a ton of marriages. And especially this time of of year, too, over the holidays, depression, anxiety tends to go up. Absolutely. I I was going to say, the last 30 days, I've had some anxiety, so... uh... No. <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. I mean, just everything going on. But before we jump in, let's read the poll answers because I thought those were pretty amazing. Um, and then we can jump into the the discussion and absolutely go from there. Yep. I just got to pull them up. So as you know, we love to do polls. We really appreciate everyone that participate in the polls. Um, it really gives a good sense of really how married couples and and people are feeling out there and, and what's really going on. And so we were pretty Absolutely. surprised by this poll, but here they are. And this poll was probably one of our average polls. I think a couple thousand people took this poll. And so I asked everyone, do you or your spouse suffer from anxiety or depression, the husband or the wife? And 32% said husband, and 68% said wife. And then I asked, whoops, hold on. And then I asked, does anxiety or depression affect your intimate life? 80% said yes, 20% said no. And then we asked, in what ways... Um, in what ways does it affect areas of intimacy in your marriage? And those are some of the answers that we're going to go over through this podcast. So anyways, I just wanted to throw out those numbers that it's it's big. It's big. What are your yeah. thoughts as you hear those uh, those numbers from our audience? Is that something you typically see across the board? Or Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, anxiety and depression is can be very common. Uh, you know, it's often connected to one of the personality traits of neuroticism. Uh, the big five model of personality says, you know, we have these five traits. One of them is neuroticism. 
and each of them are 50% genetic and the other 50% is from our environment growing up, then by the time you hit adulthood, your temperament is relatively forged. So one of those is neuroticism. So neuroticism says, you know, if you're high in neuroticism, it doesn't take much environmental stress before you start feeling anxious or depressed. That's if you're high in neuroticism. If you're low in neuroticism, it takes a huge amount of environmental stress before you start feeling anxious and depressed. So all of us are on that continuum somewhere. We're either low or in the middle or we're high. One thing for just for hope is that research does show though uh, on that neuroticism scale over your lifespan, the neuroticism uh, number or score for you tends to go down hmm. because the more life you experience, the hardier you become, yeah. the more hmm. resilient you become on average over life. So things don't stress you out as much. Oh, cool. That, that makes a lot of sense. So I know there's a lot of people probably out there listening and wondering, well, how do I know if, if I or my spouse suffers from depression or, or severe anxiety? I mean, what are kind of the things that a person can look for to, I guess, maybe self-diagnose, so to speak, or, or know if that's something they're, they, they have been struggling with. Yeah. I mean, the depression side, you know, the classic depressive symptoms are, you know, lack of energy, lack of pleasure, lack of joy, lack of drive. You just want to kind of sit around all day. You don't want to get out of bed. Um, you can start feeling hopeless. If it's really bad, you can start feeling suicidal. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, it gets into the red zone. Um, but yeah, you just feel kind of lethargic. Some people get irritable, so it can mm -hmm. also go that direction, especially with teens, actually. Um, with teens, they don't present as much with feeling down, but they're more like irritable and mm -hmm. agitated. But sometimes adults can get that way as well. So it's not necessarily just that you're feeling down. You could just become more grouchy and irritable if you're feeling depressed. For anxiety, that's more, it depends on how it presents. You know, for a lot of people, it's these physiological symptoms of like increased heart rates, racing thoughts. Um, sometimes they can have like panic attacks, can't like relax, um, you know, intrusive thoughts, a lot of uh, all or nothing thinking, a lot of catastrophizing in their mind. Yeah. Um, so there, there's some overlap, but there's definitely some differences also with the two. Yeah, no, great points. And I know, I know a lot of us, you know, we, we naturally tend to believe, oh, if we have, if we're anxious about something or we're depressed about something, um, it, it's also important to note that that doesn't mean that you have depression or anxiety. I think that through yeah. life, you're going to have certain periods of time in your life where you're anxious about things or, or, you know, based upon where you're going through, might have a period of life that you're depressed about things. And, and so, you know, I think it's important to recognize that on the flip side, that is a normal part of life that all of us are, none of us are immune to, and we're going to go through certain periods of time. And I guess how can, maybe this is a weird question, but how can someone know if it's temporary or something more long-term? It depends on the level of impairment the symptoms are creating. And so if you're having some anxiety and you're still able to function like in work or in your life and your relationships, but you're struggling with anxiety, then that just might be something more temporary and not necessarily diagnosable. Yeah. Um, same thing with the same thing with depression. If you're just having like some down days and you're just kind of struggling and feeling like, you know, happy about anything, you just feel kind of down. Um, you know, that's okay. And that's normal. But when those down feelings get so severe, you can't even go to work and you can't even, you know, function in your relationships. That's when it becomes more diagnosable. 
Um, so that is important to remember that if you're having anxiety or depression, it doesn't mean you would get diagnosed. It becomes diagnosable when it creates significant impairment in at least two domains in your life. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So jumping into marriages with this whole thing, we have so, I mean, we got tons of answers. Like my spouse doesn't have the energy or the desire to, to make love anymore. Or, I mean, we're looking, like you're saying, you kind of get stuck on, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to get out of bed if it's bad enough. But what we noticed with a lot of the comments is some cycle that starts and so one of the spouses has depression or anxiety, which affects their libido and their health, which affects their yeah. drive. And then one spouse that, you know, is not getting their their sexual desires or emotional, whatever, or lo just their love languages in general, um, their needs met, they start feeling depressed because the marriage isn't where they thought, you know, it's, it's just kind of the cycle. We kept reading these comments and like, oh my gosh, like you can see never how thought of that. Yeah. One spouse is starting to feel depressed because their spouse is suffering from these things. They don't know what to do or I don't know. It can really turn into this vicious cycle. So let's talk about that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I would say both partners can have a role to play in that kind of dynamic. Um, if you're on the other side of someone who's depressed, um, it is important to have a certain level of grace for a certain season. Mm. So similar, similar to if your partner like had surgery or mm -hmm. had a significant illness, um, you probably wouldn't be agitated that they can't meet your needs because yeah. it's more of like a, a visible mm -hmm. problem, right? Like, oh, they had surgery, um, you know, their knee, they got their knee replaced or they just had their appendix out or whatever. So it's more of a visible illness. And so like you, you automatically have more patience and grace. But with anxiety and depression, it's more invisible. It's like, mm. are you sure there's something wrong? Like, what's going on here? I don't see anything. Um, so I think it's a little harder to have grace and to have patience. But so on the per if you're on the other side of someone with anxiety or depression, I think it's one thing to work on is just having grace and patience for a season while they're recovering and trying to work at it, just like you would if they had surgery. Yeah. Um, if you're the partner with anxiety and depression, it's very important to not just be uh, – passive about trying to get better and that's where it can create resentment because if you're on the other side of someone with anxiety and depression and you don't feel like they're taking any steps to work on it or to improve then that becomes very frustrating very quickly so if you're the one who has it then it's important to make sure you're taking steps and putting some things in place that are going to optimize the chances for improvement yeah it makes a lot of sense well, I was, Amy and I were having this conversation as well. And I was like, you know, I, I'm a very optimistic and positive person. But if Amy, you know, was dealing with depression and was kind of shutting me out and um, we didn't have that emotional connection or that physical connection, I could totally see getting depressed and feeling, you know, not desired or wanted. And I, I can totally, I never really thought of that till we started getting back all these um, comments of saying, well, their depression is making me depressed. And I was like, wow, I've never really thought of that. But we we've heard so many comments and just pretty, pretty incredible of how that can just you can see how that can just cause a ripple effect um, in the relationship and, you know, make things even more severe. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's important to try to approach it as a team because it can become antagonistic very quickly where the person on the other side of their partner who's depressed can start making it all about them. Like, Hey, what about yeah. my needs? Mm -hmm. Right. And then the other person feels like 
you're not sensitive at all. You're being selfish. It's all about you. Mm -hmm. I'm the one struggling with depression. Um, but then if you're the one that's depressed, you know, it's important to, uh, make sure again that you're doing your steps, but trying to approach it as a team, I think can go a long way. So trying to turn toward your partner instead of turning inward or turning away from your partner. Cause if you are depressed or you're anxious, it is easy to turn away or turn inward, but instead to try to turn toward. And so that just means trying to open up and share where you're at, share what you're struggling with, um, share about, you know, where you're stuck. And then on the other side of that, as the other partner trying to be empathetic and trying to provide support, and then developing some plans like, well, what can we do together that could help the anxiety, that could help the depression? Because then you can feel like you're a team trying to tackle this thing that's hurting your marriage. So it's more of like a team effort instead of you're the problem, you need to fix you. It's more like, what can we do to fix this? I, lo I love it. And I think you're exactly right. That's such a good approach. Uh, we have some depression um, in, in my family um, and also people that are you know, close to us. And it is amazing to see how it, how it really negatively impacts the relationships. I mean, from an outside person looking in, you look at it and you say, wow, you're, you know, you're financially set, you're, um, healthy, you're, you know, you go down the list and you're like, you have everything that most people in life would dream of having. And yet you're life is still so unhappy and so, so tough. And, it just shows how real that is and the impact that it really does have on relationships. Yeah. And it is surprising. I was reading the other day about uh, Simon Cowell, mm -hmm. you know, the, you know, the famous, the judge, and he was saying how he has struggled with depression, you know, a lot during his lifetime. Mm -hmm. And it was the same kind of reaction. Like, wow, you seem to have it all. Yeah. Right? You're wealthy, you're successful, you're famous, and yet you struggle with depression. Um, and so it is interesting because some people, it is more of a genetic, you know, going back to the neuroticism scale. So he's probably high on neuroticism, most likely, which is partially genetic, partially your experiences growing up. I mean, research shows the more neglect and abuse you experience as a young person growing up, the more it does predispose you to anxiety and depression in adulthood. And mm -hmm. so often the roots are in our past on mm -hmm. some level. Um, and, you know, again, you know, some people you can tell if it's an ongoing thing, if they have, if they're depressed more days than not for at least two years, then that's dysthymia. You know, that's like a, the, the diagnosis of it is dysthymia. If you have a depressive episode, that's where you can't get out of bed for at least two weeks. And that's where you're suicidal and you're mm -hmm. feeling hopeless. So that's more of like a depressive episode, major depressive mm -hmm. episode. Um, but yeah, so it's interesting to tease apart, like what is the cause? Yeah. And there's several and there's several approaches that can help right so one is um based on just your relationships so there's like a whole modality of helping people who are depressed that says um the more the higher quality your relationships become the less depressed you're going to feel and so that could be one tactic like okay well what's going on with this person's relationships are they feeling like do they have a lot of broken relationships or are they isolated are they feeling lonely all those things contribute to depression yeah. so then it becomes, well, how can we help them get more connected and repair some of the relationships in their life or join new things to develop more friendships so they're not so isolated? Um, another approach is all of your thoughts. It looks at, it's just cognitive behavioral therapy. And that looks at what are you telling yourself? Because when you're depressed, often you feel uh, like you're worthless. 
um, other people are worthless and the future is hopeless. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So you have like this, this triage of how you view yourself, others in the future. And so tracking your thoughts and identifying like, what are the negative core beliefs I have about myself at the core people who are depressed often feel like I'm unlovable or I'm worthless Mm -hmm. or I'm no good. Right. They have these negative core beliefs and things will happen in their environment and they think that's confirmation to this negative core belief. And so working through their negative core beliefs and healing that and, and changing that, that also can make a huge difference. So you pointed out um, that part of it could be genetic and part of it could be obviously just circumstantial or, or things from the past. What, if you were to guess, um, what, what percentage do you feel like could be genetic overall for people? And what percentage do you feel like could be more circumstantial? Or, I mean, I know everyone's going to be different, but what, what do you kind of see as the, as a generality, I guess, in, in your practice? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say because, you know, that going back to the research on the big five personality model, neuroticism, all of the traits are roughly 50% genetic, roughly 50% environmental. So a little bit of both, but again, everyone's different on that scale. So the higher you are on neuroticism, either the more genetic predisposition you have or the more trauma you've gone through growing up or both. Mm. Right. Yeah. And the lower you are on that scale, which means you don't feel anxious or depressed very often. If you're low on that neuroticism scale, that means either you have a low genetic predisposition or you've had a really healthy upbringing or both. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. My question would be for like spouses that they've been married a while, they knew what they were getting to, marriage has been great, and then all of a sudden something causes one of the spouse to get like a major depression. And we hear that a lot, you know, after childbirth, you know, um, postpartum, things like that, or, or maybe it's a major, major surgery, surgery where the healing took longer and caused depression, or there, there's, like you said, circumstantial things that can cause things, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, what just happened to my marriage, right? Like, just boom, that affects it major negatively. If one spouse hasn't ever been through that before, that's got to be super, super hard mm-hmm. to grasp, because I love that you said... When someone's healing from something like surgery or something that has happened to them, it's it's easy to be compassionate. But I could see in, in our marriage, if it was all of a sudden to wake up one day and, and going through the stuff that I didn't understand, it I'd be like, what is wrong? Like, I, I don't Snap know what to do, this, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you have so much to be grateful because unless you've been through that, you're like, what's going on? Like, what is your advice for a spouse that's just kind of been all of a sudden sideswiped with a spouse that's dealing with this. And, and I, I love that you said being a teammate, but there's gotta be a, like a stage where it's just like really kind of ripping couples apart for a little while. Right. Yeah. And I would say that's actually the more hopeful scenario. Uh, the more hopeless scenario is if you're married to someone who struggles ongoing with anxiety and depression, regardless of circumstances, Mm. So if you are married to someone who is like doing pretty well overall and they have pretty good mental health and then all of a sudden something happens and it's like a left turn, that's a more optimistic prognosis because that shows on average they're feeling pretty good. On average, they have pretty good mental health. So if something just takes a left turn, you know, it's really a matter of they may not even understand it either, actually. You know, they may not know why they're struggling so much, but like postpartum depression is a good example of that. Or something like that, I mean, anyone can do a lot of research to understand like, oh, this is what's typical and this is what's normal and this is probably what they're feeling and why. 
And I think it's always helpful to see a therapist or a coach to get educated on like, is this normal? Is this not? Like, what should we do? How can we approach this as a team? Um, you know, how can we make sure we're tending to this together sensitively while also still tending to one another? Like, what does that look like? And how can we explore that? Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it is education on what's happening and how common or typical it is and then recommendations on what to do about it because that can create those ideas of what to do as a team. Yeah, right? exactly. If you both sure. know, yeah, so like for postpartum, if you both know like, oh, this is what's common, this is what's normal, and this is what's recommended, then together as a team, you can you can proceed based on that information. Yeah, Love great, it. great Love information. It. So we we had a lot of our audience members submit questions, and I think it'd be appropriate to maybe ask some of these questions and see what you know recommendations or what responses you'd have to those. And these were, I mean, these were these questions Amy and I kind of picked and were, you know, pretty much what most people wanted to know about, right? Yeah, they all seem to kind of be in the same category. So we picked, I mean, we had hundreds, but we picked like six or seven that kind of like accumulated for all the questions. But before we jump into that, I have my own question. I wanted to bring up what social media is doing oh, to marriage to cause anxiety and depression. Because I feel like a lot of depression, and I could be wrong, comes from the social media comparison trap. And I really feel like it's wrecking a lot of relationships. So what are your thoughts on social media causing anxiety, causing depression, and really wrecking intimacy? Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah I mean, it can come in a lot of different forms, right, with social media, but that could be one. You have this tendency to compare against how am I doing in life compared to how they're doing in life. And they seem to be so happy. They seem to have the perfect life. What's wrong with me? Um, so absolutely, you know, the more we're comparing. And it's interesting because I read that Webster Dictionary, the word, you may have heard this, for 2024 is authentic. Mm. That's, like the, mm. the, that's like the theme for 2024. And I think it speaks to what you're saying, which is a lot of us crave authenticity. We yeah. want to feel like we're not alone that my life is messed up and so is yours and that mm -hmm. that's okay, right? Um, I just got done finishing one of my marriage classes and it was like this group of about, you know, five to 10 couples. And one thing they said at the end of it is, right, it was so nice just to know we're not alone yeah. and yeah. that we're not, we're not the only couple struggling with these common issues. And yeah. so, yeah, I think comparison can definitely increase anxiety and depression, you know, feeling like, ah, oh, what's wrong with me? Also, if you feel like, you're, well, first of all, if you're on screens more than you are connecting with real people in real life, that can create more isolation, which leads to depression. Absolutely. So, so that can be a contributor. Or if you feel like you or your partner are more interested in the phone than they are in one another, then that can create yeah. marital stress, which can increase anxiety and depression. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you look at the amount of screen time total, like Netflix, phones, everything, um, there's a lot of connection there with how depressed people feel with how much they're on screens. And I've heard, I've heard stats that we used to get the dopamine that we needed from our spouse, but now we're getting it through swiping, right? And scrolling constantly in that addiction. And we're losing that, the healthy aspect of that, that we should be getting from being intimate and being with our spouses. And that's gotta be a really big cause. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. You know, that reminds me of the research around pornography, which says, you know, pornography is a super stimulus. Your brain's not prepared for it. 
And so for those looking at pornography, it's, it's, it's super stimulus. So it's so novel, right? These, this mm -hmm. onslaught of images and videos that you get conditioned to that level of stimulation. And then if you try to turn to a real person, your partner, it pales in comparison just because the novelty level is not the same. And that's leading to all sorts of issues. And so it's a similar kind of similar kind of concept, right? Yeah. So looking at screens creates this dopamine hit, this rush, mm -hmm. and then real life doesn't compare. So then we go back to the screens. Absolutely. Yeah. So true. And I think we've seen that a little bit in our life and marriage as well. A couple of years ago, um, I'm just like, I don't like the way this makes me feel. So I'm going to cut this out of my life. And it was... Um Comparing like circumstances, houses, whatever, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So we have a we have the Prada homes in the area, and we'd go see these major, massive homes. And every time I'd leave, yeah. I'd like, you know, I want that's my goal, right? It's like, <laughs> why can't I achieve that? And I, I literally found myself like, I don't like the way this makes me feel. So I'm like, I'm not going to these anymore. And I literally can feel a difference in my life. Like I, I don't, I'm not craving something or desiring something or. You know, and even that may sound silly, but literally like that made a difference in how I felt, not comparing sure. my, my life to others and being grateful for what I had. And I don't need something else. And and that's what social media is doing. You don't have to go to the parade of homes anymore. You just swipe and you're like, I don't have that. I don't look like that. I don't have, you know, all those things. I mean, we talk about that all the time, but, but yeah, getting off social media or, or taking anything out of your life that's making you feel depressed or anxious. I, I, we just have we have more control than we think we do, right? Like we literally just have to cut those things out. But it's really, really hard when we're addicted to stuff, which is it's an addictive world. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think just increasing the awareness of like what might be contributing to my anxiety and my depression. Like what am I feeding myself? Yeah, yeah. What exactly. are my habits yep. and my behaviors that's probably contributing or making this worse? That's a first step because sometimes there is low hanging fruit, right? Mm -hmm. Like oh, I need to stop swiping on Zillow and looking at all these homes I can't afford, yep. right? Mm -hmm. Or I, I need to like stop looking at my friend from high school who seems like he's happily married and I wish I was, yeah, right? exactly. or whatever it is. Yeah. Like there's, there's these low hanging fruit that we tend to like feed ourselves um, things that are making ourselves feel worse. So gratitude, yeah, there's definitely a lot of merit and research backing it that says, you know, the more you cultivate contentment, gratitude, that does lower anxiety and depression. Um, also exercise. They mm -hmm. say that 30 minutes of exercise is equivalent to one antidepressant pill. Wow. So learning, That's, yeah. Glad you brought moving, that up. Getting, yep. Um, getting out in green space and nature, that lowers anxiety and depression. So once a day trying to get outdoors and just like sitting in green space, like in your backyard or go to a local park, mm -hmm. getting sunshine, at least 30 minutes a day of sunshine is essential, especially during the winter months when people have seasonal affective disorder. Mm. It's often because of lack of sunlight. So getting outdoors every day for about 30 minutes. Um, also research shows if you volunteer with altruistic motives, meaning it's something you really believe in, uh, that also lowers anxiety and depression because you're serving and you get out of your head, right? Because when you're anxious and depressed, you get self-absorbed. For sure. Yeah. And so being able to serve and help others gets you out of your own little orbit. Mm, I I'm, love that last sentence. Yeah, and I'm really glad you brought those up because those are things that people can do pretty easily. And I would, I would guess that the majority of people that are feeling depressed – um, probably are not doing a lot of those things, right? They're probably not getting out and exercising and, and doing the yeah. things that you just mentioned. And so those are easy things that can be done and absolutely make a difference. And especially yeah. serving. I love that you said that because getting out of your own little shell is huge. 
yeah. I always tell yeah, my kids you... that. I'm like, when you're ornery or depressed or sad, I'm like, just go serve somebody. It changes yeah. everything for yeah. both of you, right? Yeah, because it's easy to think we have it horrible. Yeah. Right? And our life is terrible and I'm terrible. Then you go serve at a homeless shelter and you're like, oh my gosh, my I have nothing to complain about. Yeah. Look at what this person's going through. Absolutely. And so it just, yeah, we get, we get insulated with our own problems. And that's where they say, you know, first world problems versus third yeah. world yeah. problems. Yep. Yeah, when, when you go serve in a, a battered shelter or a homeless shelter or someone who has it way worse than you, mm-hmm. then it puts things in perspective. Well, it's interesting. Our son went to Africa and they were visiting villages that had never seen themselves in a mirror. They had never seen a TV and some of them were, had, didn't even have shoes. And he's like, these were the happiest people I've ever seen and they didn't have anything. And we're like, we're like yeah, because they don't know what they're missing in a lot, in a lot of ways. But again they don't have the technology they their 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 day-to-day is figuring out how am i going to feed my family how am i going to survive they're staying busy doing those productive but they're things. staying busy they're too busy worrying about things that are important versus worrying about things that shouldn't matter yeah, right exactly yeah exactly yeah i mean that's, that's one of the best treatment recommendations if you're depressed go on a missions trip or go on some type of service <laughs> trip in a third world country and it'll change your world. Yeah. Yeah. He came back a different well, person. So. He's in Guatemala right now and Guatemala wow. city. And it has, it's changing. Cause he's like, I can't believe I ever complained about anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? And wow, that's great. Yeah. It's that's pretty great. awesome. So let's jump into our questions from our audience. Okay. Um, our first question is my wife never wants to be intimate because of depression. What can I do? And we kind of we talked got about a lot this. of these questions. But that was like so much. I mean, what was the percentage? It was like 70, a lot. 70% said the wives were the ones that had the depression. So, um, yeah. What's the first step? Yeah, I would say the first step is being empathetic toward your partner's anxiety or depression. So you're not coming off as judgmental and it's all about my needs. Um, so being empathetic and supportive first. And then I would say second is brainstorming together. Like, what can we do as a team to help with this? And so that might mean, hey, maybe we can get outside and start walking together every morning. Like, well, let's do it together. Um, Maybe we could see a a coach or a a therapist together to see, like, how I can support you in this journey. Um, Maybe we need to get connected more socially so you don't feel so isolated if that's one of the causes for the depression. But again, I think it really, you want to dig into what can we do to improve this? Mm-hmm. Because you know, if that improves, then the intimacy is going to naturally start improving. If you're the one with the anxiety and depression, it's just really easy to coast because you get so inward focused and then you just like, you feel like you have no energy to even try anything. And then that's your side of it. So if you're a married person and you're crippled with anxiety or depression, it's your responsibility to make sure ethically you are taking steps to try to better yourself yeah. and yeah. to try to improve because otherwise you're just kind of loathing in your feelings mm-hmm. and then neglecting the marriage and then that's not going to fly for very long. Yeah. As long as you're, as long as your partner feels like you're trying, yeah, that can go a long way, right? The moment you feel like your partner who's anxious or depressed is not trying to get better. That's when grace goes out the window. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Oh, that's such a good point. And that's, I think of if I was really suffering with that and I'm kind of having like no hope to get, I just ha- don't have that desire to even get up. That's kind of where you have to just like force, right? <laughs> You're like, I yeah, can literally what... force myself to get outside yeah. and do some of these things. And and like you said, as a partnership, Hey babe, let me help you. Let me pull you out. Let's, let's We're do, this, do together. this together. Yep. 
That's right. Because then it's like a body double experience where when you are really down, the things you need to do is what you have the least energy to do. Yeah. Right. So it creates this catch 22. But if your partner is on board trying to be supportive and you're going to approach it as a team, they can be that strength when you are weak. Love right. It. They can be that they can be that encourager like, hey, I know you don't want to get out of bed and go for a walk, but we got to do this. This is mm. so important for both of us. Yeah. Right? It's important for both of our health. And so they can be that energy and that structure and that momentum when you don't have it yourself. Yeah. Great answer. All right. Question number two. My spouse is constantly worrying about things even during sexual intimacy because of the severe anxiety. Mm hmm. Yeah, so a couple of things I would say with that. One would be uh, don't just rush into intimacy when your brain is going haywire. Um, so you first, if you know, like, oh, tonight's the night, like I, every Wednesday or whatever, if you know it's like your, your special time for physical intimacy, then make sure you're having some self-care before you even approach the bedroom. Um, so that could include maybe I need to exercise and burn off some of that anxiety. Maybe I need to go spend some time in nature. Maybe I need to focus on my thoughts with all this what if thinking, because mm -hmm. that's what drives anxiety. Like, what if this? What if that? Maybe I need to do some cognitive behavior on my thoughts to lower my anxiety, practice some deep breathing exercises. But some prep and self-care can go a long way, because then you're entering in the bedroom at a different headspace. And you're yeah. more relaxed. You're more centered. In the moment, if you find yourself like your head's going toward, oh, I got to make those Christmas cookies or, oh, I still have those presents to wrap or whatever. And here we are in the middle of our, our escapade. Um, one of the best things you can do in the moment is bring your focus back to your body. So what is my body feeling right now? What is my body desiring right now? Where do I want to be touched next? How do I want to be touched next? Um, because it's a difference between focusing on the there and then versus the here and now. So it's bringing it back to the here and now. And that's one of the most powerful ways to do it is focusing on what, what are the sensations I'm feeling in my body? Where am I feeling it? Where do I want to be touched? How do I want to be touched? And the more you focus on that, the more it will keep you in the present. Yeah. Love it. You'll hear that a lot of these questions are obviously connected to sexual intimacy and emotional intimacy. Um, so anyways... Well, yeah, that, that's, 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 I mean, that's, that's who our audience is, right? Yeah. So. I, and, and that's what they're, that's obviously they're what they're struggling with. Yeah. But I wanted to ask this question. We, we often hear how good, um, sexual intimacy or even orgasm is for helping with anxiety and depression. Is that something you, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, we've heard that, um, being physically intimate and actually having an orgasm, can really help with depression and anxiety in certain ways. Is that, what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I think as long as, um, if you're the one with anxiety and depression, as long as you feel emotionally connected with your partner, and as long as you feel like if you have a positive association with sexual intimacy, um, then absolutely, you know, if you're moving forward, you know, even even skin on skin touch yeah. you know, releases oxytocin in the brain, which is that bonding chemical. So even starting there, like even if you don't feel open to sexual intimacy, but maybe you're open to just cuddling with just your your underwear on. Right. So you maximize skin on skin like that can create these endorphins in your brain and make you feel more bonded with your partner. So you're more partnering with them instead of feeling antagonistic with them mm -hmm. while you're sharing your heart with what you're both going through in life. Um, all yeah. of that can create this kind of groundwork um, to feel like, wow, we're, we're actually using physical connection and emotional connection as almost like a ointment to help with the anxiety and depression because it's soothing. Yeah. And so 
definitely that can be helpful. Yeah, no, that's great, great thoughts. Um, the next one is the, and we got a lot of these. And, and again, this is something I really didn't think of, but after people were saying it, I'm like, that is, that is a hundred percent true. But, uh, questions about how healthy spouses are getting depressed because of the lack of intimacy or connection from the depressed spouses. Um, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, first of all, it makes sense, right? Because when, when our needs are not being met, you know, we can only withstand that so long. And then we start feeling hopeless ourselves and we start feeling like we're trapped in this marriage without my needs being met. And so that can be difficult. And I think the antidote goes back to what we've already mentioned, which is, First of all, practice compassion and practice patience, just like your partner just had surgery, um, and then become supportive to your partner instead of antagonistic with them through empathy, trying to understand what they're feeling, seek out support you know, with a therapist or coach as a couple, because it's a marriage issue, yeah, yeah. not just an individual yeah. issue, right? That's For an sure. important perspective. And then developing those solutions, like what, what's causing this and what could help? And so then if you both develop those ideas of what could help, now let's execute those together. So I'm not going to create a list of like 10 things I read about and hand you the list and tell you to go do them so you get better because now I'm just trying to fix you so my needs get met. Yeah. yeah. Right? Makes and that's sense. not going to go over very well. Yeah. But if, I'm, but if I'm partnering with you and journeying with you through that, then that's going to make you feel like we're, I'm doing it for our best interest, your best interest. And again, if you're the other partner with the anxiety and depression, making sure you're taking the proper steps as as your side to make sure you're doing all that you can to optimize your improvement. Yeah, wonderful, love it. Love it. I think, and I think all the questions that you know we pretty much got basically were under this. They were this under net the or this umbrella, yeah. and so everything you've said makes complete sense. Um, and I think there there are probably a lot of people out there listening that. Are, are getting a lot out of this episode and, and probably want to go to the next level. But uh, yeah, maybe in wrapping things up, how can our audience oh. members... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I've got one more. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I think this was from a wife, but she's like, my severe depression is causing less activity, which is causing weight gain, which is now causing me low self-esteem, which is causing me to not want to be intimate even more which then causes more depression. And I think a lot of women suffer with this because maybe after after having babies and the postpartum hits or not even postpartum, but just the weight gain and then the body confidence and that, that can cause depression. And then if you're not feeling confident and, you're, and your self-esteem's gone down, I mean, a lot of women pull away because they don't feel sexy anymore, which is just, I mean, here's a whole nother cycle, right? As we talk about cycles, like... Same, same answer. Like you just got to force yourself out, get some exercise, you know, like yeah. For, for that one. I mean, this is a big issue regardless of depression, right? Just body image issues. And do I feel sure. comfortable in my skin? And so a couple of initial thoughts on that one. Um, first of all, I think it's important to realize that a lot of husbands, it's, it's not so much about how your body looks, but it's more about how open you are to being free in the bedroom with what you're doing in the bedroom. And so I would, if you're the one with feeling like you're overweight, talk to your husband and ask, like, is it more important to you that I look a certain way or is it more important to you that I'm open to experimenting in the bedroom? Mm-hmm. And I bet you, you know, yep. a lot I of agree. men would say, <laughs> well, well, obviously, yes, I want us both to be our best versions of ourselves with health, but 
it is more important. Uh, I would imagine most husbands would say, I would prefer if I had to pick between the two that you would feel more comfortable and open to experimenting in the bedroom because that is sexy and that is arousing and that is feels like now there's adventure in the bedroom and we're changing things up and it's new and it's different. Um, and that can be freeing because then for the woman, it's like, well, it's, it's less about my body, like with how I look, it's more about my attitude in the bedroom mm. and that my attitude can be sexy, right? So my, true. my openness, my openness can be sexy. My, my openness to experimentation can be sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's, that's a really untapped approach for a lot of couples because there's an assumption that if I gain weight, my partner's no longer attracted to me and now I don't feel sexy, but often that's just going on in one person's head Absolutely. and that's not, con- that's not confirmed with their partner. And if, even if they try to confirm it with their partner, they don't believe their partner mm-hmm. and their eyes oh, still don't believe what you said. And so learning to trust your partner, ask them those questions, um, and then believe them and try to trust what they're telling you and then try and experiment like, well, how about for a week, I'll try to just have an, a more open attitude in the bedroom and let's see how my partner feels. Let's see mm-hmm. what the reaction is. And to make it extra safe, you could always, you know, try dimming the lights or no lights. You know, that's another practical approach yeah. of if I'm having some body image struggles, what if we tried some intimacy with no lights at all? And at least we're still connecting, at least we're feeling more comfortable in my skin. And at least that could be a starting point while I'm working on my health to feel better about, you know, how I'm looking in my own skin. I love it. I love that answer because I think you're so right. If we were to take a poll, I bet like 99.9% of the men would just say, I just want my wife to crave me and to be open to being intimate. Like I love her for who she is. And we hear that all the time in some of our polls. Like I love my wife. Like I don't care. And I mean, and their husband's suffering with this too, you know? Yeah. But I genuinely love who they are. Like I married you not because of the way you look and and if maybe if it's after birth, like I love you. You just had my child. Like I think us women are sure. so much more harder on ourselves and what it really comes down to is just like you said the attitude yeah. and the desire. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I can keep asking questions all day, but I think I think we covered the gist of it. I think that it's really just important to just be a team. Like you said, like if someone's suffering in the marriage, no matter what it is, anxiety, depression, something else, it's a marriage issue. It's something that has to be done together if you yeah. want to fix it. Like you're a team, right? And we yeah. talk we talk about that all the time, yeah. you know, solving problems and issues together, together as a team. And so I, I love that you continuously hit on that because naturally when we're depressed or feeling isolated, we tend to try to do things individually Mm -hmm. and maybe we don't want to be a burden to our spouse or whatever. And that's the opposite of what we should be doing. So love love to hit on that. And just to, yep. And just to underscore, I think that the biggest pothole to watch out for if you're the non-depressed partner is leading with judgment and agitation and frustration Mm -hmm. instead of compassion. And if you're the depressed partner, the biggest pothole to watch out for is I'm depressed and I'm just going to coast and I'm not going to do anything about it. Yeah. 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 So those are the biggest two potholes that are just going to pit, you know, the partners against each other. Yeah. Yeah, Such great tips. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Well, you can see why we like Dr. Fisher so much. I mean, you can see how the wisdom that he has, um, how simple he makes everything. If, if you are, a couple that's struggling with this, we really recommend that you reach out to him. He can he can help you greatly. So, how can our 
how can our listeners contact you and reach out to you and you know set up times with you and you know sure. take take yeah. to the next level sure the best first step i would say is my podcast the dr wyatt show um, normally i put out about one podcast episode a week they tend to be short about 15 minutes you know very practical like five steps to this or six steps to that so if you enjoy podcasts check out my podcast the dr wyatt show um, you also can find me on social at Dr. Wyatt Fisher, and my website is drwyattfisher.com. And so um, all of those avenues could be a great way to learn more and to connect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we can't thank you enough again for being on and uh, just, again, sharing the wisdom that you have. And for all of you out there, we, we're so grateful for your listening and uh, all the support you provide us as well. Uh, Amy and I feel very grateful to to be able to do this and and, uh, just feel very blessed. So um, until next time, we hope all of you find ultimate intimacy in your relationship.